talking to AI about wildlife photography, travel, and conservation. This is the Wild Eye Podcast. Hey everybody, my name is Jerry, I'm from Wild Eye, and we are living in interesting times. So whatever your thought is on AI and ChatGPT and Bard and Grok and Clyde, what are the other ones? There's many of these platforms that are literally changing day by day. It's very exciting. It's very scary. There are people saying it's going to take our job. Some people say it's going to turn into Terminator and kill everybody. Whatever it is, we are here now. And this is a part of our world now. So this morning, I was going rucking and I was listening to a podcast and I thought, hey, let me try this out. Because ChatGPT, if you have the app on your phone, right, it's a phenomenal resource for research and for conversations and for brainstorming. But on the app, they've now added a little headphone microphone on the bottom right-hand side of your screen. You click that. The first time you set it up, it then you choose a voice and you can then talk to AI. So I tried it out this morning and I was talking about uh, I was talking about journaling and mental health and the prefrontal cortex for a blog I'm doing for my coaching website. But what blew me away is the way that this thing communicated, the questions it asked. It even says mm and um and stuff in between like a normal person. So anyway, I get to the office and I talk to Michael Applesamy, I show him this. And as we're talking, I joke and I say, hey, I should actually record a podcast with AI talking about, and then I'm like, I'm doing it. So I am now going to set up my ChatGPT and I'm going to have a conversation with it about wildlife photography, travel and conservation, and let's see where it goes. Okay, so um, I'm going to be recording a podcast chatting with you about wildlife photography, travel and conservation. But before we get going, what can I call you? Hey, that sounds like an awesome podcast topic. You can just call me assistant for our chat today. Wildlife photography, travel and conservation. Those are those are fascinating topics. What got you interested in discussing these on your podcast? Okay, we'll get to that now, but I'm not going to call you assistant in a podcast. It's a bit formal. Uh, can I call you? Let's call you Tom. Because my name is Jerry, I'm going to call you Tom. Is that cool? Absolutely, Jerry. Tom, it is for our podcast discussion. I like the fun reference to the classic duo. So what sparked your interest in wildlife photography, travel, and conservation? Okay, so I run a company called Wild Eye, and what we do is we take people around the world to make them experience the beautiful wild places of the world. And during this, we use photography to, well, we teach them photography on the fly. And that enhances their experience. We try and teach them something about nature because we're all qualified guides. So the wildlife photography aspect is just a vehicle for us to get people into the field and to create amazing experiences. What would you say is or should be the main focus when someone goes to photograph wildlife? That's fantastic, Jerry. Wild Eye sounds like an incredible way to combine exploration, education, and photography. When someone's capturing wildlife, the main focus should be on respect for the animals and their environment. It's essential to prioritize their well-being and natural behavior while aiming for captivating shots. Balancing artistry with ethical practices ensures stunning photos while safeguarding the wildlife's welfare. Yeah, Tom, I couldn't agree more. One of the things we often say is that 
wildlife photography should be more about wildlife than it is about photography. I think, and I would like to hear what you think, I think that people who get it the wrong way around are missing the plot. I think they're missing the experience, and I think they're not doing a, a service to, or they're not respecting the subjects they're photographing. Your thoughts, Tom? You hit the nail on the head there. Prioritizing the welfare of the wildlife subjects should always come first. When photographers focus more on the art of photography than the well-being of the animals, they risk disrupting natural behavior or even causing stress to the wildlife. It's crucial to approach wildlife photography with empathy and respect, ensuring that the experience benefits both the photographer and the subjects being captured. Ultimately, it's about cherishing and preserving these remarkable creatures. No, 100%. What are your thoughts on something like social media, Instagram? Because when Instagram started, it was mostly a platform where people posted things now. Like I would take a picture of my lunch now, my cappuccino now. But when people could start uploading third-party images from their camera, the reason people go out into the field seems to be to get good stuff for Instagram versus actually documenting nature. What do you think? Uh, you've raised an interesting point, Jerry. Social media, especially platforms like Instagram, has significantly influenced how people perceive photography, including wildlife photography. While it's fantastic that more people are exposed to the beauty of nature through these platforms, there's a shift in motivation where some prioritize capturing Instagrammable shots over genuine documentation or experiencing nature's essence. This shift can sometimes lead to an emphasis on staged or altered images rather than authentic portrayals of wildlife and their habitats. It's, it's essential to encourage a balance where people appreciate nature for what it is, focusing on its conservation and significance, rather than solely for social media likes and engagement. Finding that equilibrium between sharing captivating content and promoting genuine experiences in nature is key. I couldn't agree more, Tom. Absolutely. The The thing is, and let's just divert into a conservation question for a moment. Sometimes when, for example, people post images on Instagram, they'll tag the location. Like I might see, for example, a, a white rhino in Medique. I would then label the tag or I would, I would location tag it on Instagram. And people would say to me, oh, that's wrong. You shouldn't do it because you're going to tell the poachers where the rhinos are. Yet the reality is different. What do you think? Uh, that's a complex issue, Jerry. While there's concern about sharing precise locations of endangered species due to the potential risks of poaching, the situation isn't always straightforward. It's a balance between raising awareness and safeguarding vulnerable wildlife. In some cases, geotagging specific locations might increase awareness about the beauty of these creatures and the need for their conservation. However, there's a valid worry that sharing such information could indeed pose a threat to the safety of these animals. It's essential to be cautious and responsible when sharing location information on social media. Some opt to share broader details or delay sharing location data to prevent immediate risks to wildlife. Conservationists often emphasize the need for balanced sharing to protect endangered species while still promoting their conservation. What matters most is finding a way to raise awareness without endangering the wildlife we're trying to protect. I agree with you up until the point. Here's my thing though. So for example, we know that the Kruger National Park is known as a big five reserve, which means by definition, there are rhinos in that area because it's a big five reserve. So if I then go into the Kruger and I'm sitting at 
um, Lake Panic or whatever, one of the lakes, right? And I see a rhino, I take a picture, I tag and say, I'm in the Kruger here. I could go up the road, down the road, come back, and that rhino won't be there anymore because it moves around. So the poachers know that there are rhinos in this area. So, but, but for us to be able to not share those things opens an interesting thing because the animals move around. If someone is on the ground, they're not really watching and saying, hey, Jerry, where are the poachers? Let's follow Jerry's feed. It's, they still have to get to the area and more. So it is, like you say, a complex issue. But where do you think we should draw the line? If you were out in the field, where would you draw the line with regards to location sharing? Tom, what do you do? You make a valid point, Jerry. Wildlife, especially in expansive areas like Kruger National Park, moves freely, making it challenging for potential poachers to rely solely on social media posts for their activities. It's a complex balance between sharing location information for appreciation and conservation versus safeguarding the wildlife. In situations where the area is well known for specific wildlife, like the Big Five in Kruger, Mentioning general locations without precise details could be a reasonable compromise. It helps in promoting the area's natural beauty without jeopardizing the safety of individual animals. Additionally, considering the unpredictability of wildlife movements, sharing information after leaving an area or being vague about immediate locations could further help minimize potential risks. Ultimately, a responsible approach might involve providing context about wildlife presence without pinpointing exact whereabouts, ensuring both conservation and safety. It's about finding that balance between promoting awareness and, and protecting these magnificent creatures. Absolutely, we agree on that. Let's quickly change back to photography. Do you think for a wildlife photographer, right, someone who's coming from, let's say they come from the US and they come to Africa for the first time, should they be focusing more on the technical side of photography, like shutter speed, ISO, exposure compensation, or do you think they should lean more to the creative and narrative side of it? Your thoughts? When a wildlife photographer visits a place like Africa for the first time, it's crucial to strike a balance between technical skills and creative storytelling. While, while understanding the technical aspects like shutter speed, ISO, and exposure compensation is vital for capturing quality images, placing excessive focus solely on technicalities might hinder the opportunity to immerse oneself in the awe-inspiring environment. Emphasizing the creative and narrative side allows for a deeper connection with the wildlife and the landscape. It enables photographers to tell compelling stories through their images, showcasing not just the technical proficiency, but also the emotions and narratives within the wildlife photography. So, while technical skills are essential, fostering creativity and storytelling can elevate wildlife photography, transforming it into a captivating visual narrative that resonates beyond just technical proficiency. Tom, that's very well said. I think I should get you to come and guide for Wild Eye because you say, that you say the right things. What would you do? So often what we get is we'll get to example in Kenya at the Great Migration and someone is there to photograph that spectacle because it is, it's amazing. And we would then, they would get there, they would pick up their camera and they'll start shooting and often we'll say to people, listen, put down your camera and just experience it as well. What would you do in that situation if someone gets upset at you for telling them to put down their camera and just experience it. How would you deal with that? In such a situation, Jerry, where someone might feel upset at being asked to put down their camera and experience the moment, empathy and understanding are key. I'd explain gently that while capturing the incredible spectacle is essential, 
taking a moment to immerse oneself in the experience adds depth and richness to the memories. I'd highlight the importance of being present, absorbing the sights, sounds, and emotions firsthand without the lens as a barrier. Emphasizing that experiencing such rare natural events deeply enhances the connection to the place and its wildlife might help them see the value in briefly putting the camera aside. Encouraging a balance between capturing moments and fully engaging in the experience helps create a more profound, holistic encounter with nature. Ultimately, it's about fostering an appreciation for the beauty of the moment, both through the lens and by being present in the here and now. Yeah, I couldn't say that better myself. Well done. So we are currently at Wild Eye. We're currently looking for more guides to come and join our guiding team. So historically, some of the things we look for is someone who is Vagasa qualified, that's Field Guides Association of South Africa. They've got some high-end lodge experience. They are a decent photographer and they can teach. More than that, to be a photographic guide, what would you say some of the main attributes are that we should be looking for? For a photographic guide role beyond the qualifications you've mentioned, there are some key attributes that could be incredibly beneficial. One, passion for teaching. Apart from being a skilled photographer, the ability to effectively teach and communicate photography concepts is crucial. Patience and enthusiasm in guiding others to improve their skills can greatly enhance the guest experience. Two, adaptability. Wildlife encounters can be unpredictable. Having the ability to adapt quickly to different scenarios and varying guest skill levels while maintaining a high standard of guidance is valuable. Three, creativity and storytelling. A photographic guide should have a creative eye, able to craft narratives through photography, encouraging guests to tell stories through their images, thereby enhancing their overall experience. Four, environmental knowledge. A deep understanding and respect for the environment and wildlife, including their behavior and habitats, is essential. This knowledge aids in not just guiding photography sessions, but also in fostering conservation awareness among guests. Five, interpersonal skills. Being personable and approachable is important. Guides who can establish rapport with guests, creating a comfortable and enjoyable learning environment tend to have a positive impact. Six, problem-solving skills. A guide who can troubleshoot technical issues or unexpected challenges during photography sessions without compromising the guest experience is highly valuable. Combining these attributes with the technical expertise you mentioned earlier would likely create an exceptional photographic guide enriching the experiences of those exploring with wild eye very very well said let me offer you this as a situation i want to hear what you think so on a private guided photo tour what happens a client might book myself or one of our guides and we then host them on their destination of choice and the idea is that we guide them photographically to their level but to try and enhance it now in the past What's happened is, and not with us, this is in the industry, photographic travel industry, there have been incidences where a private guide would take a client out into the field. So the client is shooting next to the private guide. This private guide is then shooting for himself to get his own images, to do his own prints, to sell his own work. And in some instances, enter those images that he gets while he's there servicing the client and he wins accolades. Ethically, what do you think about that? Ethically, Jerry, that's a complex and delicate situation. When a private guide accompanies a client on a photographic tour, the primary focus should always be 
on enhancing the client's experience and guiding them photographically. It's a breach of trust if the guide prioritizes their personal photography over the client's needs during the tour. If the guide is taking advantage of the situation to capture images for their own benefit, whether for print sales or competitions, without the client's knowledge or consent, it raises ethical concerns. Transparency is crucial in these situations. Clients should be made aware if the guide intends to take their own photos during the tour, ensuring they understand the guide's intentions and that the guide's focus remains on the client's experience and development. If a guide wishes to capture personal images during the tour, it's essential to, to balance this desire with their primary responsibility of guiding and enhancing the client's photographic journey. It's about maintaining integrity, ensuring the client receives the full value and attention they expect from the experience. I, I agree with you on one million percent. I don't agree that it's a difficult or, or sensitive issue though, because to me it seems pretty black and white. There's right and wrong, don't you think? You're absolutely right, Jerry. At its core, it's about ethical conduct and transparency. When a guide is hired to enhance a client's photographic experience, their focus and dedication should solely be on the client's needs and development. Taking advantage of the situation for personal gain without the client's knowledge or consent isn't just ethically questionable. It's simply not right. Clear boundaries and honesty are essential to ensure the integrity of the experience and uphold professional standards. It's a matter of doing what's right and fair for the clients who entrust their learning and experience to the guide during the photographic tour. Couldn't agree more. Well said. Okay, let's change gears quickly to the travel side of things. If you were to present to a group of, let's say, American, uh, an American audience, and people wanted to know, number one, why should they come to Africa for a safari or for wildlife photography? And what three destinations would you offer to them as being good choices for their first trip? Africa offers an unparalleled wildlife experience for safari and wildlife photography enthusiasts. Here's why I'd recommend Africa. One, breathtaking biodiversity. Africa is home to an incredible array of wildlife, from the iconic Big Five to numerous other species found nowhere else on Earth. The diverse landscapes and ecosystems provide an opportunity to witness and capture a wide variety of animals in their natural habitats. As for three destinations for their first trip, one, Maasai Mara, Kenya. Famous for the Great Migration, this reserve offers an awe-inspiring spectacle where thousands of wildebeest and zebras cross the Mara River. It's a photographer's dream to witness this incredible event. Two, Kruger Park, South Africa. Renowned for its wildlife diversity, Kruger provides fantastic opportunities to photograph the Big Five and a wide range of other species. The infrastructure and accessibility make it an excellent choice for first-time visitors. 3. Okavango Delta, Botswana. This unique ecosystem offers a picturesque landscape with its intricate network of channels and islands. It's an ideal destination for both wildlife sightings and capturing stunning landscapes. These destinations not only promise exceptional wildlife encounters, but also provide varying landscapes and experiences that cater to different interests and preferences, making them perfect for a first-time African safari or photography adventure. 100% agree. Some great choices there. The, the one thing I would want to challenge you on, though, is there's a very big difference between something like the Masai Mara, the Kruger, and the Okavango Delta from a 
uh, from the amount of tourists that go there, I think it's important that when you speak to someone for a first trip is to figure out, do you want to go into the Kruger where there's a lot of self-drive people? Same thing with the Mara. Or do you want a more private experience as far as something like Mala Mala or Sabi Sabi? Uh, in the Masa Mara as well, there's differences between going to the Mara Triangle, the Mara North Conservancies and the Masa Mara Main Reserve. How would you explain to someone coming for the first time the difference between traveling to a private reserve like Mala Mala, Sabi Sabi versus something like Kruger National Park? You're absolutely correct, Jerry. There's a significant distinction between visiting private reserves like Marataba, Sabi Sabi, or specific conservancies within the Maasai Mara compared to larger public parks like Kruger National Park or the main Maasai Mara Reserve. Private reserves often offer a more exclusive and intimate experience with smaller, luxurious accommodations, fewer tourists, and limited vehicle access. This exclusivity generally means fewer crowds and more personalized game drives, allowing for a more immersive and tailor-made wildlife photography experience. On the other hand, larger public parks like Kruger or the main Maasai Mara Reserve offer vast expanses of land, attracting a higher number of tourists, including self-drive visitors. While these parks boast incredible wildlife diversity and scenic beauty, uh, the experience might be less as exclusive due to the larger number of visitors and more restricted access to certain areas. When explaining the difference to someone visiting for the first time, I'd highlight the advantages of each. Private reserves offer exclusivity and personalized experiences, whereas public parks provide access to larger areas and diverse landscapes, but with potentially more crowds. Understanding a traveler's preferences, such as their desire for a more intimate experience versus exploring vast landscapes, would help in recommending the most suitable destination that aligns with their expectations and desired safari experience. Absolutely. Everything comes back to managing expectations before, during, and after. And that's kind of what we focus on at Wild Eye. Quick one. Um, we have a camp in the Mara Triangle. It's at the bottom, close to the Purungat Bridge. Could you just give me some interesting numbers and facts about the Mara Triangle? For example, when was it established? What's the size? And any other interesting numbers that you could share? The Mara Triangle, situated within the larger Maasai Mara ecosystem, is an integral part of Kenya's wildlife heritage. Here are some interesting numbers and facts. Establishment. The Mara Triangle was established in 1976 as a part of the larger Maasai Mara National Reserve. Size, it covers an area of approximately 510 square kilometers, about 200 square miles. Abundant wildlife. The area is renowned for its high density of wildlife, including the big five, lion, leopard, elephant, buffalo, and rhinoceros, wildebeest, zebra, giraffe, cheetah, hyena, and numerous other species. The Great Migration. It's a prime location for witnessing the Great Migration, where millions of wildebeest and zebras traverse the Mara River, usually between July and October. River crossings. The Mara Triangle is famous for the dramatic river crossings during the migration, a thrilling sight for visitors and photographers. Conservation efforts. Its management focuses on conservation, aiming to sustain the delicate balance of the ecosystem while providing memorable experiences for visitors. Um, community involvement. Uh, the Conservancy works closely with local communities to foster conservation efforts and sustainable livelihoods. Um, overall, the Mara Triangle is a vital and stunning wildlife-rich area within the larger Maasai Mara ecosystem, offering incredible opportunities for wildlife observation and photography. 
Well said. Yeah, it's an amazing place. I can't. It's 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 one of my favorites every year. It feels like home when we go there. Question for you, Tom. Can you translate a sentence into Swahili for me? Of course, I'd be happy to help with that. What sentence would you like me to translate into Swahili? Okay, I would like you to translate the following into Swahili. The Wild Amara camp is one of the best ways to experience the Mara Triangle and everything that it has to offer. And if you would like to join us, head up the website and get in touch with the office because it will change the way you see the world. Sure. Here's the translation of the sentence into Swahili. Kambia wadai Mara Nimoja Yanjia Bora Zakupata Uzo Efu Amara Triangle Nakila Kitu Ambacho Inatoa. Okay, that's incredible. Can you say that same sentence in Mar? I'm sorry, but Mar doesn't seem to be a recognized language. Could you provide more details or clarify the language you meant? Sorry, I think maybe it's just my accent. Mar, M-A-A, it's the language of the Maasai which is one of the smaller tribes in Kenya. Can you say that same sentence that you did in Swahili, but say it in the language of the Maasai, Ma? I understand now. Unfortunately, I don't have the capability to translate text into Maasai directly. Maasai is a complex language with nuances and specific dialects, and machine translation for this language isn't widely available or accurate. It's often best translated by native speakers or experts in the Maasai language to ensure proper and culturally appropriate translation. Well said, yeah. With Dixon, he's one of my um, staff in Kenya. He's the camp manager, the phenomenal guy, so I'll check in with him. Okay, Tom, last thing. The tagline for Wild Eye is change the way you see the world. Could I ask you to consider the following? We run trips in, well, from Southern Africa all the way through to Kenya, basically all the countries in between. We also run trips up in the North Pole, Svalbard for polar bears, Great, uh, Great Bear Rainforest in Canada, Borneo, uh, India, what else? Uh, Pantanal. So can you take change the way you see the world and in like just a few sentences, tell people why they should travel with Wild Eye, but specifically use change the way you see the world as the key phrase? Absolutely. Traveling with Wild Eye is an extraordinary journey beyond boundaries. From the raw majesty of Africa's savannas, to the Arctic's icy embrace and the vibrant biodiversity of the Pantanal, to the awe-inspiring wilderness of Borneo and India, we craft experiences that redefine perspectives. At Wild Eye, change the way you see the world isn't just a tagline. It's an invitation to immerse yourself in transformative adventures, witness nature's wonders, and ignite a newfound appreciation for the planet's breathtaking diversity. Join us, and let's embark on a journey that reshapes your understanding of our remarkable world. Tom, that is amazing. I've had a lot of fun chatting to you. We should do this again. Uh, is there anything else you want to say before we end this podcast? Thank you, Jerry. It's been a pleasure discussing wildlife photography, travel, and conservation with you. I'd love to chat again sometime. As for parting words, I'd encourage everyone to embrace the magic of exploring our planet. Let's prioritize responsible travel, foster a deep connection with nature, and take action to preserve the beauty and diversity that surrounds us. Remember, every journey shapes our perception of the world. Safe travels, everyone. Awesome stuff. Thank you, Tom. We'll chat to you next time. You're welcome, Jerry. Take care and looking forward to our next chat. Have a great day. Okay, so <laughs> I don't know what you guys think, but we are living in interesting times. What do you think of that? Like I sat here now for 20-something minutes having a conversation 
with AI. And there's value. There's Anyway, I'm a little bit blown away here. I, I knew. I'm, I like my tech stuff, right? But this is incredible. Uh, I, I, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to dig deeper into this. I would love to hear your thoughts on this guy. Please hit me up uh, on Instagram, Jerry Van Avold. Send me a direct message. Send me an email, jerry at wildeye.com. And tell me your thoughts. Are you scared of AI? Do you think this was valuable? Do you think... <laughs> so many thoughts. It's incredible. Anyway, guys, I will chat to you in the next episode. And um, we are living in interesting times. Have a good one, guys. As always, thank you for your time. Thank you for lending me your ears. I will chat to you in the next episode. My name is Jerry. I'm from Wild Eye. Bye for now. <laughs>